0: amen thank you so much I enjoyed the hats Carter I loved where your hat was sitting on your guitar matching your shoes very very elegant (laughs) and then it fell off even better (laughs) there go my brains all right welcome back this is too high who knows how to set this down Mark, I need some help. No, I don't. Perfect. I'm. I. I, I do this occasionally, where I a- ask if someone's in the room, and they're not by just fluke or bad fluke. But I want to say welcome back to all of you, and a very special welcome back to James. And James, are you? You are here. Great. <laughs> welcome back, buddy. <clears throat> If we hadn't given him a globe in uh, one of those beautiful crystal globes in Germany for the hard work he did while he and Anne were over there in the fall, Um, I would be doing it right now, but he and and, uh, Anne were over there for the fall. They had a great time, I hope, came back rested, having a little bit of a sabbatical, but then we worked their tails off because they hosted a conference for 18 or 19 schools that came into Black Forest Academy to get together. And talk about it. So it was very, very cool. We're glad you came back. We know Germany is beautiful. What's not to like about this? <laughs> a lot of things I know. Uh, I always say this at the beginning of a semester, so those of you who have been here before, great. Just put up with me for a minute. For those of you who are new, we are family friendly. We're a young community. We like babies and children in the room because it means that there's a parent who might not be able to be here who can be. And, uh, you know, we're young, we're flexible, right? So we can um, put up with all of these different things. And I know parents are very conscious of how to, you know, manage their kids and work with that. So we love it that there are kids in the room. And uh, if you hear the occasional chirp from one of them, just put up your hand and say, Hallelujah, we're glad you're here, and uh, we carry on. We have a big semester coming ahead of us. Um, You've already heard about Samaritan's Purse here this week, Camp Days this week, um, the Global Social Justice Conference next week. That's a big deal. I hope you'll all go and and take it in. I'm so excited about all these amazing speakers who are coming to talk about the justice needs around the world. They have helped build our global justice program. And so this is our chance to put them on a platform, tell the world about their needs, and, and hear what opportunities we might have as careers, among them. That's what these are, our career opportunities, career days. Um, Later this uh, semester, we're going to have our Global Connections Conference. We have an amazing speaker coming just before the conference. It's Brother Yun. He wrote the book, The Heavenly Man. Now, if you want a book that will disrupt your life and your your, your, your studies, read The Heavenly Man before he gets here, or at least read the first half of it. It is an amazing story, and we have the privilege of having him here on campus. he uh, I won't tell you the story. Coming uh, later that week, we got Lawrence Tonk, um, the international director for OM, along with, I don't know, 35 to 50 different missions who will be here. Again, career days, opportunities for us to look at what we might be doing with these organizations, or if we're staying here, how we might be helping them do what they do as we stay in North America after school. Most importantly, and most exciting of all, of course, is our chapel series. (laughs) I consider it my, I don't know if it's my greatest privilege, but I think it might be to put together the chapel series each semester, and I love doing this. It's always nerve-wracking as I try and figure out who the best speakers are and who's going to fit together and all that kind of stuff. And as we cover a a topic, I pick a topic, or with the help of others in the room, I pick a topic that... um, sort of creates a book per semester, and uh, each semester we develop the the title, and then we break it out into different, about a a dozen subjects, and we take a look at that topic, and we sort of write our own book here um, in chapel. This semester, I'm tackling a topic that I've always wanted to know. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? And in fact, I'm skeptical enough, I guess, that I thought, well, did it really say that or is that what one of the songs said? Because sometimes songs do that. But why, and it does. There are two, two places. We'll look at them both today. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? Um, what does David's story tell us about the heart of God? That's another interesting question. First and 2 Samuel. We'll just read the whole thing. <laughs> what... What can we learn about the heart of God through David's story? We're going to be looking at the whole, of not the whole, but highlights of David's story. I'm not sure we got all of them, but we got a dozen. Why would God say that David was a man after his own heart? What did he do? What lessons in David's story would help us live after the heart of God? What can we learn from him that we might take away? So, I've got these different questions that I have asked of each of the speakers that that, um, we've invited to, to come. I think most importantly, so I'm now setting the table for this series after God's own heart. Most importantly, in this time in history, the Spirit of the Lord had begun to move. And we're going to look at it from Samuel today and Saul briefly and then David. And we're going to see how the Spirit of the Lord kind of decided to move. Now, what I find most interesting about that is Dallas Willard apparently said, I couldn't find the the quote written down, but he has Dallas Willard, he died um, three or four years ago, Um, a tremendous professor at the University of Southern California and um, a great man of, of spiritual formation, a tremendous Christian. He said he had great hope for the church of today. Now, not everything you hear about the world today will give you courage, right, or encouragement. Um, in fact, you'll look at it and you'll be going, I don't know if we've got the, what it takes. Dallas Willard said, I have great hope for the church of today and tomorrow for two reasons. One, because young people are committed to causes. They're no longer sold out to the mighty dollar, which was my case. Number two, in other words, you in this room live for causes. Number two, and he said, and this is more important, it appears that the Holy Spirit is on the move. Isn't that interesting? These could be exciting days around the world. And when you go into the international church, the church is alive with the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a quick look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to just read some, some highlights out of this. Um, but if, you'll, if you want to sit back and relax, you can. I'll just tell you what chapters I'm in as we walk our way through this. 1 Samuel 3, starting with verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That's when Samuel had his vision. So he's a young boy, probably under six years old. Carmen might have the number right there, but a young person. And the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down. So he went and laid down, and the Lord called again. Samuel. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he rose and went to Eli. Here I am. You called, buddy. Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said, go and lie down. If he calls you, You shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's interesting, right? This at least we know. When the Lord wants to speak to us, he knows where to find us. And it doesn't matter what our age is. It doesn't matter where we are. He finds us. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. I can imagine Samuel was a little bit frightened. Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing at Israel at which the ears, the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Later in verse 19, And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, had begun to move. And through Samuel... He anointed a king against God's wishes, against Samuel's better judgment. But nonetheless, the people wanted a king. And God said, okay, we'll find them a king. So Saul was out for a walk looking for his donkeys. I don't want to take that too far. But there you go. Not exactly a man of significance or importance. He was just a farm boy looking after his business and God chose him God found him so Saul in looking for his donkeys came into this town there's Samuel and Samuel says let's talk i want to make known to you the word of the God, of God that's at the end of uh, chapter 9 Saul was going to be anointed So Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord. You shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Then he walks through a number of things that are going to happen in the next few days. And the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you you will prophesy with these prophets that you walk in to be turned into another man. Then go down before me to Gilgal, verse eight. Behold, I am coming down to offer you, to you to offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice, peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. So Samuel had delivered his message. These are all the things that are going to happen. You're going to be the king. Watch over the next few days, over the next few months, and then I'll meet you at Gilgal. When, Samuel, when, when Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came, pa- came to pass that day. That day is not specific to that specific one because it had to take a few days. Later, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. The Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. He was a king who would become a prophet. Saul had the Spirit of the Lord on him. So Samuel, in, verse, in chapter 12, so Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent, thunder and, thun, sent thunder, thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord. And Samuel, God was active. This was a time of movement of the Lord. Saul has some amazing victories in this time. He has some amazing experiences prophesying. And he goes to Gilgal to meet Samuel. But there is an amazingly huge army camped up against him. And I didn't do the math, but it's like a hundred to one type of ratio of people around him. And he's worried and he's waiting for Samuel to come those seven days that we mentioned earlier. Saul was still at Gilgal, all the people following him trembling. He waited 7 days the time appointed by Samuel but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering before him so Saul said bring the burnt offering here to me the peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering and as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering behold Samuel came Then Saul goes on to explain well you weren't here so I was afraid to go forward without offering a burnt offering I wanted to you know worship the Lord I wanted to, the people, the people were scattering. You know, I had to, you know, gather them together. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Oh, you you, got to read this line. Um, The Philistines will come down against me. I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Yeah. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. What happened? Saul didn't wait, and that was disobedience. Sometimes the best proof of our faith in our God and His ability is to wait. And that is really hard work. Especially when we're in the world of great busyness, right? We have this way of keeping ourselves busy and keeping on doing more things. And you know, when you're doing things, then you're important, right? Just wait. Now, it's not that we should always wait because there are times to take action and procrastination, you know, you can carry that one on. But the truth is, many, many times we step in when we should be waiting, and we have to try and figure that out. And poor Saul, he's just I think he's trying to do what's right. And he didn't wait. So let me urge you to be willing to wait. If you feel God wants you to wait, don't let anybody distract you from what He wants you to do. It's called obedience. But number two, then what did he do? Well, you know, he kind of had to blame a few people. So he kind of blamed Samuel, right? You weren't here. What was I supposed to do? You know, God matters. Just telling you. And then he blamed the people. And then he talked about the enemies. The one thing that Saul did not do was he did not blame God. And I find that good. I find that redeeming. Because there are times when we blame God, or others in in history, in the the text elsewhere, have blamed God for it. That's a great tragedy. It's a great tragedy. We must be careful. But Saul would have done better to have claimed it and repented, right? Yeah, I screwed up. How many times is the story that's woven through here, the story of love filled with people who messed up. And you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Boom. Quick as a whistle, we're forgiven, we're on with it, and God is back in power. Then there's that famous, um, uh, so, so Saul did two things. One, he did not obey by not waiting. Very, very difficult to obey that way. And we need to figure out what that means for waiting. There are times when waiting is just the most amazing thing. We can learn things. God can work in other people's lives. You've got to remember this. He's eternal. Time is on his side. He can wait. He's not in as big a hurry as some of us, right? And as we wait, he works in different places. Maybe it's in our own heart. Maybe it's in the hearts of people around him. Maybe he's getting things lined up. Again, I don't want to say that procrastination is um, biblical, but there are times when procrastination really works. I can think of the time when... Uh, oh, boy, Brian's in the room. I've got to tell this one accurately. When, when Nathan Rook came to me and said, we should call Brian Dirksen and invite him to lead our worship arts program. And I was so sure he was right. But I was also sure that it was Nathan's call. And so I said, you're right. You should call Brian. And, and, you know, now you got to remember, Nathan was a board member. He still is. Um, So as a board member, he's kind of telling me what I'm supposed to do, and I'm supposed to do that. But I was very sure that it was Nathan's call. That happened, I think, every three months for six quarters, a year and a half, Nathan would get this urge in his soul. We got a call. Let's see if Brian is willing to come and look after our worship arts program. Give us leadership back into that area where we had been strong and and had gone away. And each time he'd say, Mark, we got a call. Call Brian and see if, if he'd be willing to do this. Now, it happens Nathan and Brian probably live 10 kilometers from each other in Abbotsford. I'm just saying. On the other hand, I was also sure, you know, telephone lines work too, so I could call. But I was very sure it was Nathan's call each time. I mean, you're right, Nathan, you should call. I mean, did you say we? Uh, You should call, Brian. And uh, June, so it was from like December until June, a year and a half later. uh, Nathan called me, we had the same conversation, we kind of chuckled about it, and I said, tell you what, Wednesday next week, if you haven't called them by Wednesday, I'll call them on Thursday. Wednesday came and went. Nathan, Nathan hadn't called. Thursday. My turn. I, I didn't call. <laughs> and so Monday the following week, Nathan called. And Brian said, you know, before yesterday, this is not quite exact words, but very close to this, before yesterday, we couldn't have considered it because they had just the day before resigned from their church. Wait. Now, I don't know that that's... the the right formula for everybody, but there is an important lesson to be learned in waiting. In 1 Samuel 15, there's that famous line that uh, Keith Green wrote a song about. Behold, to obey, this is verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, sacrifice is going to church and all of the different things that we do. Sacrifices is for our benefit. Obeying is for God's benefit. Sacrifices help us make, feel, make us feel better, right? We get all dressed up, put on a tie, and go to church, whatever it is. And we feel like we're doing the right things. So we're going to, you know, look in the right... You know, we look in the mirror, and we say, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, pious. But in fact, obedience, however we look, is what honors God. And God was very active in history at that time. But Saul had rejected the word of the Lord and therefore God also rejected him from being king that's verse 23 of chapter 15 so it was in chapter 13 that God said he is God that Samuel said God has identified a man after his own heart Saul continued as king in verse 15 this all comes together And Samuel says, you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. At the end of that chapter, I think, is one of the saddest lines in the whole of the canon. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's just such a sad line, isn't it? We really need to follow and obey Now, next week, Kelly is going to unpack uh, the next chapter, and so I don't want in any way to steal his thunder, because it is an amazing message. It's the um, anointing, the choosing of of David. So I'm not going to go into that except to say this. There are some really key lines that I know Kelly is going to hit again. The Lord looks on the heart. See, what happened was David and his brothers were being brought before Samuel, And they started with the oldest and probably the best qualified. And God said, no, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Finally, after all, seven brothers have been passed by, Samuel's going, is there another? Do you have one? I don't know. And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is out with a sheep. You know, kind of like, what are we going to do with the sheep if we bring him in here? He's the king, let the sheep go. Right? David was probably, the the range of estimates of how old he was at that point are very interesting, I think. Anywhere from 17 at the oldest to 8 was the the range of ages that um, people have estimated He was between 8. Let's just say he was 12 years old, looking after the sheep. That's the average there. It's close enough. He did not become king until 30. In that time, we're going to see that he served the king. He, uh, as a musician, he killed Goliath. He was a great warrior. He was sung as a hero by the people. Still not king. Waiting, waiting. He had two chances to kill Saul. Waited. So why was he a man after God's own heart? Was it because he was a shepherd? Could be, right? Or was it because he was a musician and a poet? We all know those people walk closest to God. Love you guys. Or was it because he was a great warrior or a great leader or a great king? All of these beautiful signs... And more. Was it because he was loyal and a friend of Jonathan that made him a man after God's own heart? Was it because he had shameless zeal for the Lord that made him a man after God's own heart? Or was it because he was obedient and he waited? Or was it because he was a habitual prayer, trusting God, asking God for guidance on a regular basis? We're going to find that. Was it because he repented quickly and, man, he blew it? Or was it because he just had a great sense of who God was and was worshiping him? The Lord has sought a man after his own heart to be prince over his people. The answer is actually in the second time that's quoted, and that's in Acts chapter 13. Paul is telling the story of the Old Testament of the kings. He talks about Saul And then he talks about David. A man after God's own heart. It's Acts 13, verse 22. Very important verse where it says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. I think that is the culmination. That is the final, simple, single point to put it all on. Now, don't miss the point that God... Found David. The Spirit of the Lord moved in him. Those two really important things. It wasn't like David came in going, I, pick me. But God found him. But then David had his own choices, right? Saul had a choice. And he didn't follow. He didn't obey. He did what he thought was the best thing. And the same with David. Who this is a man who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, now listen to this. Here's the unbelievable part. Of this man's line, God has brought a Savior to Israel, Jesus, as He was promised. So the Holy Spirit was moving. In the New Testament we're told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit and do not quench the Holy Spirit. We're going to do another series, I think, on the Holy Spirit and unpack what those two things mean. But sim- simply, I think, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we disobey. We break His heart. We quench the Holy Spirit in how we treat one another. And we kind of shut down the work of the Holy Spirit, either in our own lives or in others. But I think quenching is a lot about other people. And, and that's from Ephesians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. 5. So we honor God rather than grieve him. We honor the people around us rather than quench God's spirit in them. And so often, man, we can just be so quick to cut, can't we? And then you're, oh, no. So as we close today, I'd like to say, I think there are two tests of faith. There are many more, but um, there are two tests of our faith that we'll see in the life of David as we walk through this series. Spiritual giants have an ability to wait. Waiting on God honors Him, proves His eternal power, proves His intervening power. Being patient, letting Him move is a test of our faith, and it is hard work. I know, and I've blown it so many times, but this is a way to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to honor Him. Time is on His side the second is our ability to live with unrepentance our ability to live to live with sin when we know we're offside someone says something you're oh yeah i screwed up that's a giant it makes us a lot smaller when we start to blame the people around us it makes us a lot smaller when we have this build up this tolerance for pain i can live with that i can you know i shouldn't be doing it but you know i can i can live with that discomfort So we have these two tests. How is your faith? How is my faith? Do I have a a high tolerance for for sin, a high tolerance for pain? Or am I a low tolerance person and that makes me much more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit? Don't we want to be after God's own heart in those two ways? Um, I, I'd like to, to, to do an altar call. Now, don't f- freak out. Because I want to do it like the kid who was, um, you know, the dad's yelling at the kid and finally says, sit down. You no, know, sit down. You know, sit down. You know, finally, the, the kid sits down and the dad's, you know, I won. The kid looks and he says, I'm sitting down outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. That's what I want to ask is, would you, let's just close our eyes for a minute. Let's just ask this. I don't want anybody to stand up. I don't want any hands. I don't want any responses. I just want you because the Lord looks on the heart. In your heart before God, wouldn't you like to be a person, a man or a woman after God's own heart? Wouldn't you like to have that great eternal Presence giving you patience. And I invite you in your heart to stand before the Lord because I think He will begin to make changes in your life one thing at a time and others will watch and they'll go, oh, here's someone who is a man or a woman of God. And then God will be free to work and move in your life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you all.